Thank you for listening to sermons from Stonehouse Church. Our current series is called Seven Letters. Seven Letters is a sermon series looking at the letters of Jesus Christ to seven ancient churches. These letters fill the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation written by John, one of Jesus' twelve disciples. As we explore these seven letters, we will seek to discover what we as the church today can learn from Christ's words to the seven churches of Revelation. Our scripture reading today is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the Lord, to the churches. Please be seated. Um, All right, so we're in Revelation. We've been walking through the letters to the churches in Revelation. Um, If you haven't been with us, we've been really trying to... um, pull revelation into uh, real life and experience. Um, Often we kind of segregate revelation to one of those books that is not applicable uh, because it's full of really weird stuff, um, and that's completely untrue. Uh, Yes, it's full of weird imagery um, and and, an illustration uh, that is is strange to us and and might seem a little different uh, than what we're used to, uh, in particular in in the New Testament. Um, but when you look at it in the, the broad uh, picture of Scripture, it's tied a lot to uh, Daniel and Ezekiel and some of the other prophets. Um, and so when you understand some of what's going on in the Old Testament and the prophecy there, and then you look at the New Testament and, and you match some of these things up, you start to realize that John, who's writing the book of Revelation, is simply uh, writing about what's kind of behind the scenes in the spiritual unseen world. Um, and, and you can't really define that stuff. Right? It's unseen because it's unseen, and it's, it's spiritual because it's not natural. And so a lot of what the uh, Spirit did to John uh, to show him the, the revelation was to give him images and pictures that would be a little more understandable to the human mind. Um, although maybe dragons and beasts and uh, you know, flying angels with six wings might not be uh, the type of thing we're used to. They illustrate things about uh, what's going on behind the scenes. And so John opens this whole letter to uh, these churches in Revelation um, by saying Jesus has some things to say to you guys. Uh, you represent him. You're his body. Um, he is the head. You're the body. Uh, you are the bride. He is the bridegroom. Um, and so you represent him here on earth, and, and he, as your leader, as your Lord, as your Savior, um, he has some, some words for you. 
Uh, he knows you. He knows what's going on. Uh, he sees you. Uh, he knows where you are. He knows what the world is like around you. And, and here he has these things to give to you, uh, these words. And so we've seen the church in Ephesus and Pergamum and Thyatira and all these different places uh, receive both encouragement and rebuke from Jesus, right? And so some of these churches have been told, you're not loving each other, right? And we wrestled with that in, in a strong way when we talked about Ephesians. Last week, we saw that Jesus had a strong accusation and, and said to the church, you have a reputation for life, but you're really dead, uh, right? So things on the outside look good, but on the inside, um, you, you're, you're, there's no life to you. Uh, and so we brought a strong rebuke to the church in Sardis. Uh, this week, the church of Philadelphia, Jesus actually does not bring a, a, a charge against them. Uh, it's one of the only two. It's one of the only two churches that there's no um, "this is what's wrong with you" type of a thing. Uh, Jesus only brings encouragement to them. He only spurs them on. Uh, he only says, "Hey, I find these good things in you," and he encourages them uh, to persevere. Uh, and so, the words of Jesus to this church um, have a lot to do with uh, who they are and what they're enduring. Uh, and then also have to do with the promises that are before them. So we don't have time to do quite as much as we've done before, but I want to look basically just at verse 8 uh, and, and look at two different things. So uh, the, church, uh, the letter is written to church, and it's saying this is, this is the words of the Holy One, uh, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens. That's verse 7. But then verse 8 says, I know your works, which he said I know something about everybody so far. He says, I know where you live, I know your works, I know your deeds, I know your love, all that type of stuff. So he says to them, I know your works. And he says, behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So I want to f focus first on uh, this idea of the, the open door. So there's, there's, there's two things that this could mean, and we're going to kind of talk about both of them. Uh, it could mean that Jesus has set before the Church of Philadelphia an open door for ministry. Uh, the reason it could mean that is because Paul, in his writing, uh, often referred to ministry opportunities that were before him as open doors. Okay, And so we see a similar language here from John, and so it could mean that Jesus is saying to the Church of Philadelphia, there's an open door of ministry before you. One of the reasons people think that this is what it is is because Philadelphia was a gateway to the wild, wild east. Okay, so think reverse of America, right? Like pioneer days, St. Louis, what up? Was the gateway to the west, right? That's why the arch is there. If you ever go on the top of that thing, it's the scariest thing ever, it's crazy. Um, right, you been there, Mike? Oh, when you were three, what a courageous little boy. Uh, Mike grew up there, he's wearing that St. Louis Cardinals hat, it's terrible. Um, so Philadelphia was kind of like that, only in that day and age, the wild wild was to the east for them. Right? So it was like, think Mongolia, think uh, the Far East, think China, Japan, the islands, all that type of stuff. So Philadelphia was kind of on the, on the cusp of the East. And so a lot of people believe that Philadelphia was kind of a missionary-minded church because they were in the middle of kind of the Greco-Roman world. They were, they were experiencing all of like Caesar worship and there was a temple to Zeus in their town and all that kind of stuff was real to them. But then when you went East from Philadelphia, the, the Roman powers uh, kind of decreased and you, you began to wander into a little bit more of the rest of the world. And so they had a mind toward that world more so than a lot of the other cities. So a lot of people think that Philadelphia had a missionary mindset. And, and, and Jesus says to them, listen, I gave you this door. 
I've opened the door for you to be involved with the gospel going to the ends of the earth, which is the command he gave the church back in the beginning. Um, so a lot of people think that that's what this open door means. And the other thing that people think that this open door means is that it's just simply a conversation about Jesus opening the door to the kingdom of heaven for this church. Um, and that's, that's closely tied to verse 7, which says, the words of the one, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut. So that's talking about entrance to the kingdom. Jesus only can open the door for entrance into eternity. Why? How? Right? Jesus only is the Son of God who lived perfectly in our place and died substitutionary on the cross for us so that we might get what was his and wasn't ours as a free gift of grace. And that is sonship, that is belonging, that is entrance, right? And so both of these things come to mind. And the other thing that people say uh, for the second thing, the entrance to the kingdom, has to do with this synagogue of Satan in verse 9, which is really weird to talk about because um, you're like, what? There's a synagogue of Satan? Uh, and, and, and all that has to do with is, is what it means to truly follow God. Uh, because in the world of the Romans and in the world of this first, these first century churches, there were a lot of Jewish people who said they followed God, but they rejected Messiah and they rejected the church of Jesus right? They called it a cult. They said it wasn't true and it wasn't good. And Jesus comes to this church and says, all of these people who are kind of slamming the door in your face and saying you aren't true and genuine, I'm going to turn the tables and one day they're going to see that I did love you. They're going to realize that the church is legit because the church is mine, because the church is part of the plan from the beginning. That's what I always imagined was a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation coming and worshiping me through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the, the door of the kingdom talks about in that way. And so the point of this for us this morning is either way, whether it's this open door for ministry or whether it's this open door into the kingdom, it is an open door that is open only because of the one who holds the keys. Jesus alone opens doors, right? So if we're talking about an, an open door of ministry, we must realize and recognize that an open door for ministry has nothing to do with us, but has everything to do with Jesus. So if Jesus is speaking to us here today, saying, you have an open door for ministry, it is this. You have an open door to bring the gospel to your city, and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus, who decided the place and time that you will live and you will dwell, the church that you will belong to, and he has said, I've opened a door for you. And the open door is this, that you can go proclaim my name, which is the open door to all peoples, to all of the kinds of the people in St. Pete, so that they might too hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, closely tied to this reality of the open door of ministry is this next phrase, and Jesus says it, and it might sound like us to, uh, as, as though it's a correction, but it's not. Jesus says, I know you have but little power. And guys, this is a message we need to remember. When it comes to the open door, we understand that Jesus alone can open the door. Jesus alone can open the door of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus alone can open the door for ministry. And that open door does not have any correlation with our strengths. It doesn't have any correlation with our abilities. It doesn't have any correlation with how good we are at anything. It has everything to do with the fact that Jesus will show his power through weakness. Right? We are weak. And Sam Storm says this, this is not a rebuke, right? Jesus isn't rebuking the church for weakness. He says that they had 
no obstacles to accomplishing great things for the kingdom of God, even though they were weak. Why? Because God is the one who worked through them. This idea of God's strength being made manifest through our weakness is all over the scriptures. It is all over the scriptures, and I'm afraid that it's contrary or it, it contradicts much of what we're prone to hear and believe and understand about Christianity, especially in our country where Christianity is strong, where persecution is essentially non-existent, where the church is big, where the church has much resource, where the church has much power and much influence, right? Sure, it's waning, but it's still here, and it's at least in our recent past, so that we often do not associate ourselves with weakness in America, in the church in the West, basically. We associate ourselves with power. We think that serving God is what makes us strong, right? When we don't realize that we are so weak in and of ourselves and the only strength that we ever have is strength that God has given us. And so the open door for opportunity or the open door of entrance into the kingdom of heaven has, not, or has nothing to do with our power and our strength. It is based completely on the great strength of Jesus and his ability to work for us and in us and through us, right? Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 12 about weakness that he had. It's a famous passage about a thorn in the flesh that Paul had, right? And in verse 8, Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but never took it away. But he, being God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul picks up and says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, then I am content with weakness." I am content with insults. I am content with hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so Paul might see eye to eye with the church in Philadelphia when Jesus says to them, I know that you have but little power. And that's not a rebuke. That's not a correction. That's a statement of fact, and it's a statement of a fact that we must realize if we're ever going to see any open door, either to ministry or to the kingdom, because we need to recognize that we are weak and he is strong, right? Uh, you might have sang this song when you were a kid if you went to church. Anybody know what I'm about to sing? Sing it for me. No? <laughs> the little ones, right? Jesus loves them. They are weak, but he is strong, right? Who do they belong to? They belong to Jesus. I had this, and this is a, a, a glimpse into some of my uh, messed up theology that God has brought to light. It didn't dawn on me until just recently that that song was about me. I think that all throughout my life, I always sang that song about people that were little. So when I was a kid in elementary school, I thought the song was about babies. They are the little ones. They are the ones that are weak, but he is strong, 
right? When I was a teenager, I thought it was about the kids in elementary school. When I was in high school, I thought it was about the middle schoolers. When I was in college, so on and so forth, and, right? Not realizing that the entire time, the song is about me. That I am weak, and he is strong. That I'm the little one to him that belongs. And that, yes, Jesus loves me. And that he shows his love to me in my weakness, right? That I'm unable to achieve for him anything of significance if it's not him in me and him through me. Because I am weak and he is strong. Hebrews 11 is something that's really popular. We like to talk about the heroes of the faith. At the end of Hebrews 11, however, we see about weakness. I just want to read this. It will be one of our last things before we close. Verse 32 in Hebrews 11. The writer says this, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in, power, in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back the, their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They, were, they, were, they went about in, sheeps, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves on the, of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they shouldn't. They should be made perfect. So much of the story of God's people in history, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and after the Testaments, is a story about human weakness, is a story about people unable to grasp for themselves something so that God could, in fact, grasp it for them instead. And so we as a church might see weakness, right? Maybe we perceive this place and this group as a weak thing. And when Jesus looks in on it, he says, yes, you're weak, and there's an open door for you, made by me, given to you as a gift of grace from my hand, and in your weakness, my power will shine through in great and glorious ways. Ultimately, the weakness that we experience and that we see before us is given to us so that we might know we cannot save ourselves. We must look to the strength of another for salvation. We must look to the power of another if we are going to both endure now and see him face to face one day later. Amen? So let's boast all the more in our weakness. Yes, we are weak, but he is strong. Amen? Jesus loves us. Let's pray. God, thanks for this day. Uh, it's hard to talk about weakness in a culture that celebrates strength and ingenuity and self-starting and self-initiating and independence and all these things uh, that, that speak against humbling ourselves and admitting our weakness and admitting our need. Uh, but today, along with the Church of Philadelphia, we admit, God, we're weak. We admit we're tired. We admit we're unable. We admit we're struggling. We admit we have temptations and thorns in the flesh. And that sometimes we just simply cannot endure or overcome. But we know that when we are weak, you are strong. And so we ask, God, that you would give your strength to us. 
um, that we ask that you would show yourself strong in the midst of our weakness, that people might see that our boast is not us, but our boast is Jesus Christ, in whom all of the promises of heaven find their yes and amen. So we look to you for strength, also for salvation, and for whatever open doors that you lay before us as a church, God. We thank you for this day. God, please bless this outreach. Lord, would you please reach the needs uh, of so many of our neighbors here today. Um, Thank you for the pal. Um, We pray, God, for uh, your strength today uh, to enable uh, the groups of people that will be in here to serve this community. God, we know that's what Jesus does. He serves. He has served, and he is serving through us. And so we ask that his name be made great, uh, even just through simple service. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.